Hello, and welcome back to General Chat. This week's episode features Ro from Realm Maintenance. We throw it all the way back with Zork in the Commodore 64. We talk D&D in his actual play podcast, and after that, things get deep. I advise you to buckle up and prepare for a trip to Feelings Town. Ro opened up about some big losses in his life. He was vulnerable and available in a way that was very personal, and I cannot thank him enough for talking to me about those experiences and how they shaped him into the person he is today. So I hope you are ready, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Ro. Hey Ro, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for inviting me on. Uh, I'm joining great company considering all the past people that you've had on your show. So it's it's quite an honor. Thank you. I could say the same. When you had me on Realm Maintenance for the first time, I think I, well, not me on as a guest, but when you mentioned the podcast, I think I replayed that little like minute snippet a million times. <laughs> Well, it's, I'm I'm happy to do that stuff. I mean, uh, I'm my whole goal with Realm Maintenance is to give more exposure to the smaller shows that need it, and uh, sometimes to the bigger shows that don't. But when when they have big stuff, I talk about it too. But it's uh, uh, I, I like getting people to uh, find new podcasts and adding new podcasts to their playlists. Uh, it, it's been really fun the over the past couple weeks just seeing all the extra people that are flocking to the half hill report, which is this uh, kind of radio drama esque wow podcast. And they were featured on realm maintenance not too long ago. And they were a relatively small show. Uh, not that they're like super huge now, but they had after the feature on the show, they had one of their highest download days ever. And uh, just seeing that brought a smile to my face and what uh, kind of lets me know that I'm, I'm doing the right thing. That's got to be a good feeling, right? Oh, yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, I do what I do because it, it's a passion of mine. I'm, I'm not doing this to make the big bucks or anything like that. I, uh, I, I, my Patreon thing makes like a whole $80 a month, <laughs> which, I mean, that'll take care of like paying the cable bill and taking care of web hosting stuff and, and all that stuff. But I do this because, you know, I like podcasts. I like listening to podcasts and I think it's cool to, you know, just bring more attention to podcasts out there, especially when we, we kind of live in this day and age right now where, you know, YouTube and Twitch are the real popularized things right now. Right. And even a lot of podcasts are doing, you know, simulcast video streaming and such like that. But I do sincerely think that the audio podcast medium is very important, that there's still a demographic out there that flocks to audio and it needs to be supported. I think that your podcast really builds that audience because it is a, what feels like a a community-based effort. Like you really reach out on Realm Maintenance specifically to everyone in the community to make them feel welcome. I want to know why you were inspired to do that. So when I first created Realm Maintenance, it was out of wanting to make a World of Warcraft podcast that was 
focused on something a little different. I mean, the fact that I wanted to just get into podcasting was kind of a thing because I just like listening to podcasts about Warcraft and such. And that I started with segments on the something suggested podcast. And after that, the, the host of that show, Jan, she encouraged me and like saying, you should do your own wild podcast. I'm like, I mean, yeah, I could, but there are 30, 40, 50 other wild podcasts out there. What am I going to do that's different from all the other wild podcasts out there? And I decided to do something a little crazy for me. And I hadn't really listened to all the other, other podcasts out there. And so I did something which I thought was out of the box and decided to do a podcast about podcasts. Because I figure if you have a game that is able to attract 30 to 40 different podcasts to cover it, then there's probably enough space to go one level higher and do a podcast about all those podcasts. I mean, you think about, <laughs> you think about TV and there's a channel on your TV that just does nothing but show a guide of all the channels on there. And the, the, the like when I was a kid, I remember watching the TV guide channel and it'd have that channel guide, but it also having this other box, like, you know, little interview segments and all that would uh, television uh, show hosts and, and all that. So that's kind of where the concept of realm maintenance came around. It's uh, I wanted to do a wow podcast and I wanted it to be different. So it ended up being a wow podcast about wow podcasts. And uh, that's how the ball got rolling. It became larger just because as wow got older and as we got older, we became more exposed to other Blizzard properties out there. Hearthstone be uh, became a thing. Overwatch got introduced. Heroes of the Storm materialized. And suddenly a lot of us who were playing World of Warcraft weren't just, uh, you know, World of Warcraft players. We were Hearthstone players. We were Heroes of the Storm players because uh, it just Warcraft lent itself to us being attracted to those properties. And when you listen to all these shows and you, some of them cover all Blizzard games and they expand their coverage. I felt like, well, I guess Realm Maintenance needs to expand its coverage. Was Realm Maintenance your first podcast? Uh, yeah, it was my first podcast. You know, there's I did segments and such, right? But it's the first mm -hmm. podcast that, you know, had like a beginning, middle, and an end. I Right about at the same time not too long after starting Realm Maintenance, I became a co-host on All Things Azeroth. And All Things Azeroth was uh, one of the, and still is, one of the oldest World of Warcraft podcasts out there. And the co-host for that show, uh, Anne Stickney, uh, everyone knew her as Shade back there, uh, she had left the show and that left all things Azeroth in a peculiar place where it was just basically Medros and who was going to be the, the next co-host. I had been listening to all things Azeroth so long. I'd been in the chat channel so many times and mm -hmm. such. And Medros was aware of my work with realm maintenance and, and the stuff that I was doing with uh, segments and the Achievatron and stuff that he reached out to me and said, would you like to be the, the next co-host? And I'm like, uh, yes, please. <laughs> uh, but all things Azeroth, as big as Realm Maintenance has been for me from beginning to end, I truly feel that without all things Azeroth, 
I don't think I don't think I would have continued on doing what I did as uh, doing what I'm doing as long as I have. Uh, All things Azeroth gave me exposure to a much larger audience than I had with Realm Maintenance, and by having that audience from All Things Azeroth, that brought them into the Realm Maintenance podcast, and that helped the core of Realm Maintenance grow bigger. Uh, but I, I really, I owe a lot to Jan from Something Suggestive just for inspiring me in the beginning. I definitely also owe a lot to All Things Azeroth because without that core audience from ATA traveling over to Realm Maintenance and kind of building up the core of uh, the listener base there. Um, I don't know if the show would have lasted as long as it did. ATA really helped you learn your podcasting legs then. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I'm very grateful for Medros for that. I, You know, it's funny because often when I'm on the show with Medros over the history of the show, and then when I guest appearance with uh, Medros, uh, it may seem like Medros and I have this weird friction antagonism toward each other, but it, it's, it's a friendly kind of thing. I love giving him <laughs> crap and, and he, he loves complaining about all the crap that I give him, or at least I think he does. He keeps on allowing me to come back to the show every once in a while. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's a, I have nothing but respect for that guy. Uh, he's been doing this doing this longer than most of us, and the fact that that he's still doing this amazes me. That's something that I've noticed in the Blizzard podcast community specifically. If you look at All Things Azeroth, Torn Think Tank, The Starting Zone, these are podcasts that have been around for a good while that have gone through rebirths with different co-hosts, mm-hmm. found from the community. And I think that's something that really speaks to the core of the Blizzard podcast. It's that feeling of community. How do you feel that you play into that? I, I'm almost afraid this is going to sound a little self-centered the way I <laughs> say it, but I would not deny that I am basically a voluntary community manager for podcasters. Mm-hmm. I'm basically an unpaid community manager for podcasters. And I don't think that, I don't think that that's self-centered to say, I would say that that's accurate and you're allowed to give yourself credit for the things that you do, bro. Yeah. But at the same time, I wish that wasn't the case. So uh, what what I'm going to say may be a little, a little controversial, but Mm -hmm. I have, I have a lot of respect for the community manager teams on all of um, all of Blizzard game on all of Blizzard's games, and I realize that they have only so much bandwidth. They have to go where the metrics are. They need to when they are reaching out to community partners and such like that. Uh, priorities have to be given to those creators out there who are reaching. Uh, the most viewers, uh, the most listeners, and such like that. So, uh, of course, community managers are more often than not going to be attracted to uh, the biggest video creators out there and and maybe one or two of the top podcasts out there. At the same time, I feel that if you took the majority of all of the middle, lower-tier podcasts out there that cover... Uh, World of Warcraft and combine them together and combine their listener base together, that's still 
a significant chunk of people being connected to uh, content being created by people, uh, peop- and it's a significant chunk of your community that's worth giving attention to. Um, I feel that Heroes of the Storm, Diablo, really treat their podcasters right. I, I think they're very well connected with their podcasters. Mm-hmm. I wish that Blizzard's other properties were better connected with their podcasters. I do see when effort is made, and I respect it, and I appreciate it. I always wish more could be done. And I understand that it's... Community management is almost like triage, right? You kind of have to, you have to, you have to decide what's the most important things to work on, what, what are the most important aspects of community management to work on. And you focus on that. You can't be everywhere at once and that sucks, but that's just reality. So that's where I come in where uh, community managers for some of Blizzard's games aren't able to, you know, like help bring listeners to their shows, like get the word out about stuff. I try to do a little something where I can. Uh, by no means is what I do a full-time job. This is a hobby of mine. It's just a passion of mine. But when what I do brings results, when what I do brings more people listening to a podcast and in turn brings more people engaged, not just with the podcast, but the game that the podcast is covering, uh, that brings me nothing but joy the strength of the podcast community I think lies within the content of the community and what I mean by that is the the type of 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 response you get from someone who's involved with the fandom-based podcast community or just Blizzard podcast community in general Mm -hmm. I think when you get you know a lot of high-level streamers or video makers and not to say that one content uh, type of content is better than another because I don't believe that but I think a lot of times you'll see there's a lot of childish behavior I would say or vitriol in a lot of those comments and I don't think you get that in the podcast community because it takes a certain level of commitment <laughs> to sit down and listen to and interact with the podcast and I think a certain level of uh, a fandom to do that and so I think you know you've got to consider quality and quantity and i think you do a good job highlighting uh, both of those yeah i would say that because the two because video and audio are consumed differently and there a lot of people who are producing video content like to create some of that content live uh, that gives you know the, the possibility for people on twitch chat to do their thing and uh twitch chat being a, a often a wretched hive of scum and villainy uh <laughs> <laughs> Um, and and yet I still keep on watching Twitch chat just because I like to watch the world burn and I like to watch a train wreck. So that, that there's a flaw in my character there, but, um, yeah, I think the reason why you don't have as much negativity when it comes to podcasts is just by nature, the fact that a lot of podcasts are pre-recorded, not done in front of a live audience. And then when they are done live streamed, like say ATA um, starting zone, all things as Roth, because it's an audio format primarily, 
and your uh, your live listeners, your live viewers of the recording is a comparatively small number to your actual total listener base. It's a lot easier to moderate those podcast recordings. It's a lot easier to filter anyone who is out of line there. So you don't run into some of those same problems that you see appearing in uh, Twitch or appearing in comments on YouTube. Um, I mean, I've seen some pretty terrible I, um, iTunes reviews for podcasts where people are saying some really unsavory things. Um, I've had those things said about me. I've seen those things said about hosts from other shows and I wish it didn't happen, but that's only a fraction of what these larger creators get exposed to. So it, it's kind of the, the blessing and curse of uh, just doing audio and being a podcaster. You, you might be, you might be, only be playing out to a smaller audience but you're also in turn exposing yourself to far less of that toxicity that could be shot back at you um i don't know how scott johnson deals with all the 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 crap and stuff that he gets doing the instance because he has a large listener base and within that large listener base i've seen people tweet at him some pretty just some pretty stupid things and he still keeps on doing what he does. He still keeps on trekking along. Dude has a thick skin, and it surprises the hell out of me. I wish I had a skin as thick as his. That's for sure. Boy, I wish I had a lot of things Scott Johnson had. <laughs> <laughs> He's worked very hard for that stuff. Oh, boy. Okay. Woo, we are getting in the weeds of podcasting, aren't we? I, we're trying. We're trying. <laughs> Well, I want to get in the weeds of your game history. I want to start with that little sproutling, the little sproutling of the weed, the little the little baby, the little seed. I want to know about what that first game, that first that first inkling of of light, of joy, of that thought that oh, I I might like video games. What what was that game to you? I'm a fairly old guy, so my <laughs> My mother one year bought me my first computer, and it was a Commodore 64. Right on. Uh, for those who aren't in the know about what a Commodore 64 is, imagine something with one one-thousandth the processing power of your iPhone, and only two colors on a computer screen, something that looks like a, a, a pit boy from fallout, but not even that advanced. And th there's your Commodore 64. Um, that's where my computer history began. I had an Atari 2600 around the same time too. And I was attracted to games such as on the Atari, such as like asteroids and space invader, uh, pitfall, uh, Ms. Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, stuff like that. But I'd really say that my exposure to gaming on a computer is far more responsible for what kind of stuff I ended up playing in my latter years and today. In particular, there are two games that I played on the Commodore computer that really kind of stick with me no three games shoot okay there are three games that are kind of the make up the core and foundation of why i love the kind of games i love and the first one is zork 
Uh, Zork was a text-based adventure from Infocom uh, where you basically got – it was kind of like a, a choose-your-own-adventure book but put on a computer – and you could choose commands and stuff like that. So there was more than just two choices and you had to figure out what the commands were to go places and do things and such. That's the, the summary way of doing it. So I like that because the exploration, the, the puzzle solving and just kind of the storytelling and it kind of got me into reading too. If it hadn't been for Zork, I don't think I would have been uh, – as much of a reader of fantasy novels as a kid as I was back then. So there was Zork. There was The Bard's Tale, which was one of your first kind of dungeon crawler games using, you know, your your trope kind of Dungeons and Dragons-like fantasy characters, choosing your class, casting spells, and it was pretty much just dungeon crawling, hack and slash combat and such, not a whole lot of role-playing involved, some puzzle solving and such. But that's, if it hadn't been for the Bard's Tale, I don't think I would have been as attracted to uh, D&D, fantasy, that kind of stuff. And then Ultima for Quest of the Avatar, which was one of the latter games for... Either the Commodore 64 or 128, because eventually we upgraded to a 128. And Ultima, the kind of cool thing about that one was it was also fantasy RPG exploration was involved, but was one of the first games where your actions had consequences, where uh, you could be honest or dishonest, where you could steal things, where... Uh, if you killed the wrong people and it was dishonorable, you could face penalties and such like that. And just kind of like this whole system, uh, the, the whole virtue system that Ultima applied. I thought that was kind of cool and unique and uh, a, a different take on uh, role-playing genre more than just casting spells and doing damage and hack and slash and such. So Ultima... I ended up playing the whole Ultima series as it progressed and moved on to later systems, and I kind of followed the Ultima system. And I followed Ultima along the way I would play console RPGs like Final Fantasy and such, and Ultima would eventually lead me to Ultima Online, which was pretty much the first MMO out there. So... Uh, for a very big reason, Ultima is kind of why I'm a World of Warcraft player and why I'm a podcaster. Because Ultima led to Ultima Online, which led to other games, which led to eventually World of Warcraft, which led to podcasting, which led to you and me talking about stuff right now. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about Zork for a second because... Sure. Because, yes, I do want to touch on, like, Ultima and, and Ultima Online and all oh, those yeah. fun the, things. You'll, you'll find that I, when you ask me questions, I may give an answer that go that says, like, a whole bunch of things. If you want to go back and dissect things, I am all for it. That's fine. Perfect. Let's talk about Zork because I feel like younger listeners who might be listening might not understand the appeal of a text-based game. And I want to just get into a little bit of what captured interest. Because you imagine today, like, games like 
Spyro are being remade and it's like oh this is an amazing transformation but when you think about games first came coming around it's just like a dot on a screen that you're moving around right or just like text and commands that you have to enter you have muds and things like that what was it about Zork from someone who was playing it that was so appealing to you Zork was like being inside a book and being the main character of a book the the concept just it was groundbreaking for its time it was i it was kind of like a single player dungeons and dragons experience meets the computer and you're being told this story and you're saying you're you're being told about this uh, ancient underground empire that you're being surrounded by and the text kind of paints a picture of uh the scenery uh, what how the dungeon is described uh, if you're outside where the mountains and the trees look like there's a path this way a path this and a path this way in essence the the game is being a dungeon master and instead of pressing you know a button or clicking on an icon to do this or that you had to kind of figure out okay you had to type out and figure out what you're going to do and i mean there's some common commands like go north go south go east go west but then it really shined when it would describe certain things to you and the answer wasn't always exactly obvious but if you used your head and if you got a little creative when you got rewarded for that creativity, that that was just an awesome, great feeling. Uh, so, I I think it was the immersion, j- just like being inside this book, being inside this story, and just feeling more immersed than ever, and feeling like I'm the main character. When you play a lot of RPGs, and I would say this is even true today, when you play a lot of uh, gaming and computer RPGs, it often feels like you are just the person controlling the character. Uh, with the text-based adventure being what it was, it's it's stripped down to its bare bones, right? It's just, at the minimum, this is the area, you're here, what do you do? And it, it's very it's very basic, but at the same time, it's extremely intimate and engaging. It feels more like you're the leader in this adventure and not just someone who's along for the ride. Yeah, you're kind of like the co-author, right? I mean, it, it, someone's writing that out the, the scenery and stuff for you, and then you're writing in a line or two uh, as you go. You may not be writing most of the story, but you're writing little bits and pieces here and there where you can. And then when you see that your actions then create other responses and such like that, it, it feels like you're building this adventure and helping create it. And that's just kind of a cool thing. Whereas with a lot of RPGs, you know, a lot of them are kind of just, it feels more like event-based. It feels like you're supposed to go here and do this, and you're more along the ride for the story. Uh, I guess both games are really kind of like that. It's just, it's a lot more obvious with many present-day RPGs that you don't necessarily create the story. You are riding along with the story. And I think... That's why later on, 
the game, when it comes to like RPGs that I tend to gravitate to a lot, it's the ones where there are far more open choices where things aren't necessarily, I mean, I like my linear RPGs too. I mean, I've played almost every Final Fantasy game there is, but I think even more than those Final Fantasy games, I really enjoy games where you have options, where you don't have to follow the main story path, where you can go off and do side stories and things that may not necessarily mean a whole lot to the main thing, but you are still creating your own story, creating your own fun. By the way, I'm one of those weirdos who likes Fallout 4 and Fallout 76. (laughs) Go, Go figure. I'm one of those weirdos who, when I get into Skyrim, I don't play the main storyline. I just go and do only side quests or explore the caves, look for lore. Oh, yeah. And I think playing the main story of Skyrim is still a great experience to get involved in, especially because it gives you some access to some cool abilities and such like that. But doing those side quests, uh, man, um, the Dark Brotherhood. Uh, uh, quest line in, in Skyrim I, was one of my favorites for sure. Oh yes, absolutely. This time around, I'm going. Uh, I just became a werewolf, so we're experiencing that for the first time. Very exciting. Nice. I'm curious, you know, with your experience with Zork and talking mm-hmm. about really like enjoying being a part of the narrative, and and even though you do enjoy enjoy a linear storyline. And I think nowadays there are a lot of games that have gorgeous, fleshed out stories that are just, you know, an emotional roller coaster with a beautiful game as well that are just wonderful to experience. Mm. But I think I think there's something to be said for being a part of the narrative. And I think that's partly why tabletop games are making a comeback. Yeah. Games like D&D, I think people crave that being a part of that narrative well what do you think about D? uh well considering that i am currently playing a level three female halfling tempest cleric named feyrana wavecrest i i'd say i'm pretty into it <laughs> <laughs> tell us more about that Rob. i uh, so just going back some i played a lot of second edition Dungeons and Dragons back in high school with my nerdy circle of friends and college and all the years after that I hadn't played D&D and being exposed to things like Critical Role and uh, some of the other Dungeons and Dragons stuff going on out there uh, of course uh, most recently there will be Dungeons John Jagger who's been on the show and uh, Scott and seeing them doing what they're doing and I'm like Man, I really want to play Dungeons and Dragons again. Here I am. I'm I'm a, I'm 43 years old, but I, I want to I want to create. I want to roll up a character. I want to be something unpredictable, and uh, I wanted to just create something and be a part of a story and be a part of a journey. And that led to uh, me contacting uh, a couple other podcasters, and we asked some people around and uh, made some connections and. Next thing you know, we got this little group together uh, born between myself, uh, a couple of uh, Here's a Storm podcasters, uh, Thorn, who I think has also been on the show uh, from uh, Lagging Balls, and we formed this group, uh, have a great DM in Brian Howard, and uh, 
plus five to hit was born and i'm i'm enjoying the heck out of it we don't meet often enough it's like we have a a three-hour gaming session roughly every two to three weeks and i wish it was more frequently because oh my gosh that the characters are great i mean faye is an interesting character herself and there's far there's quite a bit left to be learned about her but just uh, interacting with these other characters and such and, and seeing these weird twists that happened that I'm not expecting. Like I would have never expected a bard and a paladin who follows the same deity that Faye does to attempt to smuggle a chest full of gold bars out of a building. Uh, <laughs> so when you, uh, hmm. you went into creating a character like that, what were you thinking? Like, did you come in with an idea of like, yeah, yeah, this, this, this is how it's going to be. And I really want her to be this rambunctious lady. Or did you come at it from this place of like, oh boy, I need to play it close to the chest, close to what I know. Where, where were you coming from when you created your character for plus five to hit? Uh, I wanted to create something that was not my warlock in world of Warcraft. I because I kind of have I've been playing a character a warlock in World of Warcraft for a long time and I'm currently playing a shadow priest so I, I wanted to play something that was very different from that I realized I wanted to play a spellcaster but then at the same time I'm also like I want to do spellcasting but I also wouldn't mind being in the thick of the fight you know being on the front lines as it were and doing a little reading through the, the handbook and stuff like that and realizing that uh, there's a whole wide variety of clerics and there's one particular kind of cleric, Tempest clerics, which, you know, are very related to the weather, lightning and the storm and stuff like that. And they can actually wear plate and they are sometimes, you know, at, at on the front lines of battle. And it's like, OK, I, I think th- this is my jive and. So I went with uh, a Tempest Cleric, and Battle for Azeroth kind of lent a little bit of itself to the DNA of who Faye is, because I kind of took the idea of the uh, the Tide Sages of Kul Taras and kind of envisioned, well, what would a D&D kind of tide sage be so if i at first i was uh calling Faye uh, a tide runner but now i'm just i'm calling her a tide sage because it seems more appropriate i uh, just imagining that there are these this circle of tempest clerics which are assigned to ships and they're to uh help bless and purify food and water uh there to kind of manipulate the winds keep uh ships on course and to hopefully uh, uh appease the the sea and storm deity melora and and keep ships afloat and such so i was just one thing kind of led to another and i'm fleshing out this backstory and how did she end up on this ship and uh, how her connection to her family and such like that and i'm sending all this stuff into the the dungeon master brian and he's eating it all up and the the next thing you know uh, a couple weeks later uh, our story begins with uh 
Fay on the the ship called the Talisman, which I thought was a great name because little did the DM know that my favorite book of all time is the Talisman by Stephen King and Peter Straub. So the fact that she ended up on a ship called the Talisman, I thought was amazing. Fortuitous. That's perfect. <laughs> Very fortuitous. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's been a journey. And, and some people may question, you know, why play a female character? And uh, why did I consciously make that decision? And at first I was trying to sound, you know, female and such like that. But I, I kind of have a somewhat higher tone voice at times anyhow. But at the end of the day, um, her gender was an intentional decision, but it was more a decision because I wanted to step out of my normal, my normal thinking. At the same time, do I think I do justice to playing the character as a female? I'm not really sure. I think I could probably do better. But then at the same time, I kind of look at this way. Faye's gender is not necessarily what defines her as who she is. What what defines Faye is uh, her personality and her choices and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, whether uh, Faye is uh, a man or a woman is not as big a deal. Does it create some interesting moments and interactions with other party members? Sure. And that's great. And that creates, uh, you know, a little bit of comedy down the line and stuff like that. And that kind of makes it worth it in the end. But Really, it was kind of a coin flip, and then I decided, sure, why not? <laughs> well, I think that pretty much sums up the female experience in a nutshell. It's like, hmm, your gender isn't the core of who you are, and you actually make decisions outside of that. Right. Very realistic playing row. Very realistic RP. I'm interested in your nerdy interests as you were growing up. So you're talking about you know, getting your first computer, playing Ultima, and this leading to Ultima Online, and enjoying mm-hmm. the Final Fantasy games. What, what were your nerdy interests when you were in high school? Because I think that's a pivotal time for a lot of us nerds. So, it was a really pivotal time for me in a lot of ways, uh, more than most people. And at first... As a freshman and a sophomore, I really didn't get into a heck of a lot. Uh, I did look into like student government and uh, tried running for you know an office a couple times as a freshman and a sophomore and didn't get anywhere with it. As a freshman, I actually played football for all of about two months and then fractured my arm and then never got into sports again. Uh, (laughs) Oh, that is a big change. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But really, I just kind of, my first two years, I I really just kind of kept to books and, and such and playing games and doing my thing. But when I was a junior, I decided to because uh, i i think it was because part of the thing was you had to take like you know certain extracurricular activities and such and so i went for acapella choir and i when i tried out for acapella choir i apparently was uh, the teacher was so impressed 
because I'd had like no previous training and stuff like that. And I guess I had, I had a knack for matching pitches really well. She said I had perfect pitch and I was kind of like, okay. (laughs) Um, That led to a summer camp opportunity before my junior year. And uh, I ended up getting a bit more entrenched in the, the, the music in music classes and stuff like that. I even played uh, that year. I decided to try out band because music was kind of becoming a thing and I played saxophone in band and uh, I really, I I liked doing those things and it got me connected with a whole bunch of different people. Uh, The other thing that I got into was journalism and I think that was also my junior year. It's a lifetime away, so I could be wrong with a couple of these details here. But what I'm trying to build to is uh, one of the things that's kind of unique about me that a lot of people cannot say about their high school experiences is I had two senior years. Oh. And having having two senior years gave me a lot of time to do extracurricular activities, which involved pretty much anything and everything uh outside of sports because earlier experience in sports uh didn't want to get back into that the reason i had two senior years is because back in 1992 i was 17 years old i was living with my mom Uh, my mom and my dad were separated and there was i want to say about two months left to go in the school year. And one day on uh, April 13th or yeah, April 13th, uh, I woke up, went over, uh, you know, was getting ready for stuff like that. Went over to find, uh, went over to go to my mom and found she was in bed and her skin was very pale, very discolored. And she had passed away in her sleep. Um, my my mom had sleep apnea, and it was it was kind of I, I was very unemotional about it then. Um, my mom and I had had like conversations and talks and stuff in the past, and I wouldn't necessarily say that I saw it coming that day. But I knew that there was always a chance that I might not have my mom with me as long as most people have theirs. Uh, She was very obese. Uh, She smoked. She dealt with sleep apnea when sleep apnea was still kind of a very early thing. And people were, and, you know, medicine wise, they were just, it was in early studies and stuff on how, how to deal with it and such. So with my mom passing away that very same day I actually ended up going to school and I didn't really tell anyone about uh what had happened and I school became my home uh I eventually I I was reconnected with my dad and, and my dad took care of me uh you know for the next few months and I would involve myself in extracurricular activities more and more and more just as a way to escape. 
as a way to not be to, to have my mind on anything other than the fact that I did not have a mother in my life anymore. And, and I never really within the first couple of years, I never really had that moment where I grieved or where I broke down in tears and cried about it. When did that moment come for you? Probably not until my early twenties, to be quite honest. Uh, my relationship with my dad was tenuous at best for the few months that it was going on there. I uh, things with my dad and I didn't last that long either. And this is going to sound like a made for TV movie because about six months after my mom had passed away just into the beginning of my second senior year. I should explain why a second senior year. Uh, first <laughs> senior year, I'm jumping all over the place, but the reason why I had two senior years is because when my mom had passed away and I dove into all this other stuff and I realized that graduation was coming up and you know, pretty soon I wasn't going to have this place, uh, I intentionally failed U.S. government. I intentionally failed the class because I knew if you didn't pass that class, you couldn't graduate. So I set, I, I sabotaged my opportunity to graduate that year. Right. School was your refuge. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I never really told people back then why I did that intentionally, but, uh, that's why I did it. And I could have made it up over the summer, but decided not to. And that meant I had to do a senior year over again. So I, I took a lot of classes that were fluff classes and didn't mean much of anything. And uh, passed U.S. government just fine that year. <laughs> um, but just six months after my mom had passed away, my dad was a taxi driver and he got into an accident with a drunk driver. So with about three months left to go, uh, no, more like more like a month or two left to go. Um, again, time's kind of blurred for me because of, because of the way the whole experience was. But yes. basically... With just a, a little time left before I was 18, I ended up living with a uh, friend's family until I turned 18 and was able to take care, uh, basically go get my own place, get my own job and such like that. Uh, but yeah, uh, before I was 18, I lost both my parents. And that's one reason why I got, I've got into escapism as much as I did why I threw myself into extracurricular activities at school is because real life kind of sucked and I wanted to do anything and everything that w didn't feel like it was what everyone else does. Right. So at the time it was a, a defense mechanism, a place where you could go to not feel all of the terrible things that real life brings. And, mm -hmm. and now many, many years later, it's something that you can can do without that shadow leaning over you. Something that's just enjoyable, where maybe the entry wasn't as such. Yeah, but I would also, I'd also say that as many great experiences and you know awesome times that I've had, and as much as I've enjoyed the escapism, I will absolutely admit any day of the week that 
going the path I went on uh, made me less developed. Uh, mature, I matured at a far slower rate than my friends around me. Uh, I was kind of kind of whole Peter Pan syndrome, not wanting to ever really grow up. Uh, I'm definitely, I'm definitely a flawed character, but not a broken one is the way I'd put it. Uh, a lot of that stems from those years in high school and then uh, what happened and then the choices I made because of it. Uh, I, I definitely have a lot of flaws, a, a lot of flaws, but I, I'm by no means a broken person. Do you find your experience uh, with your mother to be a motivating factor with the way that you lead your life? I think that was the primary motivation to keep going and to keep on living and to keep on doing things is because she, because like some, not too long, but within a year before she had passed away and she'd had a talk with me. I remember her telling me that her biggest wish for me is that I'd be, that I'd have more success that she did and that I'd live longer than she did. And on a couple of occasions, she said that um, neither of us can ever be too sure just how long I will be around here for you. Uh, And she had brought up this, like, I just, I'm, I'm not looking at, I'm not expecting you to be a millionaire. I'm not expecting you to be astronaut. Uh, I just want you to have a better life than, than you've seen me have. And I feel like I did that. Um, I probably could have been better. I, I, th- I mean, I, I definitely could have been better. I definitely could have been more successful. I, I definitely could have made choices to take me down a more successful path a path that would you know possibly result in in family and kids things didn't necessarily turn out that way but when all said and done uh i'm i'm 43 my mom passed away when she was 39 uh my mom was dependent on checks from the government for a good several years of her latter years, I've had a couple moments where I have needed unemployment for brief periods of time, but I've pretty much had a job for the great majority of my adult life. And uh, while I'm not the most physically fit person by any stretch, I'm still living a healthier life than my mom lived. Uh, because my mom was such a heavy smoker it's funny because i work in the convenience store and i sell cigarettes and i sell beer and stuff like that but uh, because of the choices that my mom made i never decided to smoke because i didn't want to go down that path and i'm my mom never really drank in front of me and i don't know if she really drank much at all so when it comes to me and drinking i will drink once in the blue moon uh but maybe like five or six times a year. So we've talked a bit about family. We've talked a bit about community. Do you feel now that being a part of this community, being a part of this, not just the podcast community, but the Blizzard community as a whole, this entire nerdy family that we've kind of 
created and it's been like you're you're a nerd i'm a nerd come come on we're gonna play dungeons and dragons together like (laughs) (laughs) let's connect over these shared interests do you feel now like you have have a bit of a family in that sense a small one not as big as people may think there are people in this community whom i consider very close friends whom i trust who i would spend uh, a great number of hours at blizzcons over the past several years with um they pretty much know who they are it's one reason why i hang out around them and uh there are some people who I, I have a lot a lot of trust and a lot of care for, and those people I consider family. It's only a small slice of the whole podcasting community. And I mean, on occasion, a new person will come in and, you know, I'll be able to form a strong enough friendship with them and I'll bond close to them and stuff like that. And things will and maybe there'll be another addition to that family but it's so it's very difficult to form those kinds of bonds because there are people who not everyone is willing to accept a person's word for about their past mm. and I have uh, openly on my podcast and a few years ago on Twitter disclosed facts about my past, and I don't mind bringing it up again because I'm pretty much an open book on this, and people who listen to this, if you haven't heard the, the podcast where I mentioned it before, you may be about to get a little bit surprised. If that changes your perception of me going forward, I'm sorry, but this is a part of my life and who I am. Uh, I had a moment in my life where I got into a situation where I was accused of asking a underage girl to remove her clothes. Uh, It was basically a he said, she said situation, and I was facing uh, charges of verbal annoyance or verbal annoyance harassment molestation of a minor uh all all basically he said she said kind of stuff Uh, and that led to you know the involvement with the police having a public defender who because i couldn't afford an attorney basically scare me into a no contest plea because the public defender was convinced that if I were to plead not guilty and have it go to a jury trial that uh, the jury, if they're going to take one person's word over the others, uh, even though you're supposed to have proof without a reasonable doubt, uh, the, the public defender said, look, in these cases, they're going to side with uh, the, the mother and her daughter here. So I ended up into pleading no contest to have the charge reduced from a potential felony to a misdemeanor. But what that all carries with it, and and because it happened in the state of California, is that I technically have to register as a sex offender uh, and update that registration every three months for the rest of my life. Uh, That is a part of who I am. 
but it's a part of who I am because I made a bad choice, not a choice to interact with a minor in a way that I find disgusting and horrible, mind you, but because I made a choice to plead no contest out of fear, out of ignorance for the law, and because the law is structured as it is, I still have to register every three months uh, for my life. Now, that is that is my story, and that is what I know to be the truth. Regardless, though, even though that is the truth and my version of the truth, when I say those things, when I put that information out there, or when people find that information by accessing public records and such, they are going to see one thing, they're going to hear one thing in their heads, they are going to automatically assume the worst of me. Mm. Um, there's nothing I can do about that. Uh, I can just try and continue to be the best person I can be. And there are people out there who, after being around me long enough, after knowing who I am, will realize that this guy is honest in what he's saying, that this guy is not the person who his label claims he is. And the people who are able to get that close to me are the ones that I end up calling my family. Um, those that are aware of the label, uh, some people on a very extreme have completely blocked me from, you know, social media communication, stuff like that. Those are very few. And, uh, I, those, bridges will probably never be mended because they choose to see me for just what the title and what the law says I am. Uh, and then you have in between those on that extreme and those who are closest to me, you have this everyone else uh, people. And that includes a large section of listeners uh, and people in communities and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of people who listen to my podcast and a lot of people who may have over years uh, have forgotten about my disclosure of those facts or maybe weren't around when I disclosed those facts again. So the fact that I'm bringing it up now may be uh, causing another chain of events or whatever. And I'm not really overly concerned about it because at the end of the day, I don't really have anything to hide, and I've tried to make that clear from day one. Right. Hey. Uh, so going back to your question about family, I do have a family. It's a very small one. I am humbled and appreciative and blessed that there are so many other people out there that are willing to listen to my content, who enjoy my content, and who download my content. And I am happy and fortunate that there are people that are totally fine with interacting with me, shaking my hand at BlizzCon, having a conversation with me. And then I always have that worry, a little bit of anxiety. Uh, that tingling, that nagging thought, huh? The that nagging thought in my head that like... Is everyone that I'm interacting with genuinely interacting with me, or are they only interacting with me to, to put up appearances? Like, do, do people really accept me for who I am and what I am, or uh, are they just doing what they're doing? And then when my back is turned, when I'm not there, they're 
it's that stuff really gets to me and it's, it makes me uncomfortable. And, um, those, uh, there's a small group of people that I don't have that kind of anxiety and discomfort around. There's a lot of people who I still kind of wonder and worry. And, you know, and so many times, you know, you hear, well, you shouldn't really care what other people think. And 95% of the time, I don't care what other people think. But damn, that 5% sucks when I do think about it. That's a hard one. And, you know, Ro, I will say that I think that that is a very common thought to have and a very common concern to have. And I just want you to feel like, you know, you're not as alone in feeling that. That's something that uh, I've experienced. I've experienced at, at, at BlizzCon. It's something that, you know, you think, oh, you're having these great interactions. And then once you're done having this interaction, you replay everything in your mind and you're like, oh, did I do something wrong? Or was this a genuine thing? And I think that that is that is all part of all, all part of the the whole human interaction and, and and I think a lot of like we've talked a lot about a community on this podcast and a lot about imposter syndrome and I think a lot mm-hmm. of that plays into it as well when you're making content and you have to be a one person producer and a one person marketer and you have to you know make all these business connections but they're also friend connections sometimes sometimes not yeah it, it can be a hard line to feel out. So it's something that I'm glad that you touched on, even though I'm sure that, you know, it can be hard to talk about. I really appreciate you being so vulnerable and talking about those things with me. Cause I think that it's something that we do experience. Yeah. Um, I don't mind talking about it. And there, there's kind of, this show's kind of an okay place to, to talk about it and such like that because it's not, this isn't your typical podcast where we're just talking about like, hey, it is what Sylvanas doing wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, this this is about the people behind it all and right. such like that. And so I, I feel comfortable with talking about like just who I am as a person. And uh, it's, yeah, that's, it's not a thing. Um, Obviously, there are going to be people who listen to this today, and they're going to be like, "Wow, I had no idea about that about Rowan." I mean, well, there you go. That's me. <laughs> there is stuff that I have have yet to talk about that is you know, that I don't talk about, like relationships that I've had that have been very like detrimental, or things that have happened in my past that have been very traumatic. We all have darkness in yeah. our lives, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and stuff that I just you know haven't talked about because I do worry about that. If I talk about it, people will be like, ugh, I don't want to hear about this part of your life. You know, I want to look at sure. the, the interesting parts of it. So I do admire that you can talk about that. I feel, I, I think I can talk about it because I kind of come at it from an angle of what do I have to lose? <laughs> and uh, I know that I'm not going to, I know I'm not going to lose the relationships and friendships with that small core group of people I have that I consider family because they're, they're all aware of this stuff. They all know about this stuff. And the fact that they continue to accept me for who I am and know that I am not the person that uh, the law says I am uh, because I have that core group of people. I'm okay with, I'm okay with talking about anything and everything because anything else is a bonus the, the, the rest is gravy uh the, the rest of you out there you can love me or hate me it's all fine <laughs> you've got your core family they've got your back right 
yeah, it, it's a small, it's a smaller group than you might think, but they've gotten it back. Well, it's really interesting to hear this kind of this dichotomy of like you run a community based podcast, <laughs> my my man. You talk about all the other different podcasts that even like touch on Blizzard stuff that that have content yep. that, that that grab your attention, and you do. I'm gonna go ahead and say it, you do a good thing for the community. I know that it might be hard to hear that. Imposter syndrome might be going, I don't do anything but gather together resources. No, you play an important role in in bringing voices up to the light. So I I will quickly say that the first three to four years of doing this, I was that person saying, no, I'm just resources and stuff like that. Over the last year or two, I've kind of come to terms and accepted the fact that like, Hey, I'm doing something that's pretty cool and pretty awesome. And am I proud of it? Yeah. Um, I'm at the same time, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be braggadocious about it (laughs) every single day, but I understand who I am and I understand what I've done and I'm pretty happy about it. And I'm happy with myself about it. Uh, And I'm, now I'm pretty comfortable with with where I'm situated as far as things go in that way. Can you tell me while we're talking about community, you've got several different podcasts. You've got four podcasts that you are a part of or yeah. produce. How how do you how do you manage to do those four things? And then on top of that. You know, you help with Calm Before the Storm. You help with World of Podcasts in a major way. You do all these. You do all these different things. What keeps you motivated to keep doing those things? Because I've run out of energy. I just have one podcast, and I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> there are definitely periods during the year where it feels like I do not have any me time, where my my time is dedicated to. It's like work, podcast, eating, sleeping, and then sometimes it's work, podcast, eating, sleeping, world of podcasts come before the storm, and there's never any real free time, uh, me time, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't do it, and the payoff so far has always been worth it. Now... One of the ways I've made it work to a degree on the podcast end is that uh, Realm Maintenance, Rolling Restart, and Hearth Casual, and I mean technically plus five to hit two, uh, none of those are a weekly show. Uh, I guess technically Hearth Casual can be because I do those like mini half episodes in between. But because they're running every other week, I rather than it feeling like I'm doing... F- being involved in four podcasts of work, I'd say it's more like being involved with two podcasts worth of work, uh, which is still quite a bit when you <laughs> when you add it up to the, all the fact that like, oh yeah, and I play games and I work and I do all these other things. Um, but yeah, it, there's some weeks where it it feels like a grind, and there are other weeks where it just it feels amazing and it feels fun and it feels great. And then there's some weeks where it feels like a combination of the two. Uh, this week, just the other day, yesterday, I got to interview Jesse Cox, 
And that was such a freaking amazing moment. And we talked very little about the podcast that he's involved in and talked a lot about just who he is and, and his life and stuff like that. And it was an hour long conversation and it was awesome. And uh, this is a guy who, uh, for his own reasons, he, he's kind of a controversial figure in the commu- in some areas of the community, but he has a huge fan base. He has a, uh, he's, he's, far more e-famous than I am. I, I would say he's arguably more e-famous than Scott Johnson is. And to just spend an hour with the guy and just talk about stuff was one of the highlights of the year for me. So it's already been a pretty great week for me. And then, and then, and then we have this interview and this interview has been cool too, because uh, it's gone directions. I didn't expect it to go. And I'm talking about things that, uh, it, on one hand, I knew I'd probably talk about because I've listened to some of the earlier episodes of the show, but then when it, it's different from like expecting to talk about it. And then when you actually get into it and talk about it and say it. So, yeah, I, I feel like I haven't answered your question though. Uh, the, the question was like, how do I make it all work? Yeah. How do you keep yourself, how do you keep yourself going? How do you keep yourself motivated doing all these things? And, and then, you know, touching on it, it feeling like less work because it is a labor of love is a, is a very good start to the answer of, of that question. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely say I do it because I enjoy doing it. I do it because I like to create, I like putting those things out there. Um, I have had moments where I see that what I've done has a positive impact, has a positive uh, effect on people who listen to it. And it feels good to create things that are that that have a, that have that positive impact and they're appreciative. Uh, and getting that kind of feedback is awesome too. So uh, yeah, it's uh, in my offline job, that kind of feels like a grind, uh, although it's fun and entertaining to interact with customers in a convenience store and you never uh, know what the day is going to bring because you never know which customers are going to walk into the store for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, every day can be a little bit different there, but that work is still a little bit of a grind. Um, being able to do the whole podcasting thing allows me to be creative, uh, allows me to be my own boss as it were to a degree and uh it it just it's uh it's kind of my way of to a a lesser degree telling stories and and sharing stories by you know just providing this channel this avenue for other people to be on and we have conversations and we share our thoughts and our feelings put it out there on the internet and several hundred people or sometimes uh, depending on the show a couple thousand people listen to it and it's uh, you hear about those words months later when you run into somebody at blizzcon or you get an email from someone who's been listening for years who you didn't even know about and those those moments uh it all has they all have their payoffs um everything that i've done has a payoff and it's had an experience it's it's all been worth it and I never quite know when that payoff is going to happen. So that makes it always a much bigger deal 
when those things happen because it's just kind of a a magical timing or aligning of the stars and I just get these moments and their actions that I realize these moments would not have happened if not for everything that has come before them. Uh, recently, I could say having the opportunity to, at BlizzCon, walk up to Chris Metzen and extend my hand and say to him, I know you don't have time for a picture. I know you have to, to head out, but I just wanted to say thank you. And to shake the dude's hand and for him to say, hey, anytime. Uh, that was a moment. And I, th there's so many... Uh, I'm still kind of speechless when I think about the fact that that moment freaking happened. I would be too. <laughs> so what I'm hearing you say, bro, is that you have these magical little moments brought on by the reaction to your podcast, the reaching out, the shared emotion, the shared fandom, the shared community, the friendships that you've made. What I'm, I feel like, I feel like what I'm hearing, Rose, is that friendship is, is magic. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I've really enjoyed the fact that you've gotten so vulnerable with me. I really appreciate that. I want to thank you. And I want to give you a second to tell everyone about the things that you're doing. You know, we talked about them a little bit, but tell us exactly where we can find you, what you're doing, how they can listen to you because they deserve it. Sure. So uh, the easiest way to connect with me on Twitter is uh, at Rowow. That's R-H-O-W-O-W. And as far as the stuff that I'm involved in, there is Hearth Casual, which is a podcast for Hearthstone players that prefer the more casual side of the game, not necessarily going on the ranked ladder. You can find that at hearthcasual.frozenfoxmedia.com or your podcast app of choice. Uh, there is a World of Warcraft podcast called The Rolling Restart, which is kind of a spinoff of what I was doing on Realm Maintenance in the earlier days. And uh Rolling Restart can be found on, you know, pretty much the same places you find Hearth Casual. Uh, so that's for your World of Warcraft listening needs. If you just like listening to podcasts about Blizzard games for all the games, if you want to find about more podcasts for those games, check out the Realm Maintenance podcast. And if you're just looking for links to more podcasts, go to realm-maintenance.com. Lastly, if you like a little Dungeons and Dragons, and I know you do, <laughs> I know you do. You you may not think you like Dungeons and Dragons. You just don't realize it yet. You do. Uh, you really do. You really do. I, I, I'm going to convince you. I'm going to cast Charm Person, and I'm going to roll a 20. <laughs> um, you want to go check out, uh, there's Critical Role. There's There Will Be Dungeons. Those are great D&D podcasts, and I encourage you to check out those too. The one I do is called Plus 5 to Hit, and you can find that in all the same places you can find my other shows. Uh, just any major podcast app should have it. Uh, and yeah, it, it, it's a it's a good time and a fun time. Uh, I don't do any Twitch streaming. I don't do YouTube content. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a podcaster kind of guy. So uh, that's pretty much how you will find out about my stuff and listen to the things I do. Uh, definitely check out 
realm maintenance over the next few weeks because again there'll be that uh interview with jesse cox i'm going to be interviewing uh frodan who's a big part of the twitch and hearthstone community oh cool yep and uh at the end of the year is my whole yearly maintenance series uh i i record these segments in advance for each interview like an extra 10 to sometimes 20 minutes of bonus questions and predictions that people won't even get to hear until the very end of the year. So we can see if people made predictions about 2018 correctly, and uh, you'll get to find out uh, a few extra things about them that you didn't hear in the main interview. So uh, yearly maintenance will debut for this year on Christmas day. All right, guys, you heard him. If you've enjoyed listening to his voice in your ears now, you're going to enjoy listening to him on his other podcasts, especially Plus 5 to Hit. Check it out. You will love it. Thank you. <laughs> and the, again, the, thanks for having me on, Anna. It's, it's been a pleasure. And uh, again, I'm, I'm really humbled and honored to be in such amazing company with other people you've interviewed on the show. And I, I really can't wait to see who you talk to next. You're too kind. Thank you so much, Ro. Until the next time, we'll see ya. See ya. That was my interview with Ro from Realm Maintenance. I hope you enjoyed it. Even though we got a little deep and personal and introspective there at the end, I think it's always really interesting when we take a turn and see a side of a person that maybe we didn't know or maybe they felt like they couldn't share before. It was really interesting for me to hear how he grew and evolved who he was as a person from the things that had happened and the mistakes he'd made in his past. I think we all can relate to that. Thank you for listening to this episode, and if you've enjoyed it, it would mean the world to me if you would give me a review on iTunes, throw a couple stars my way, pew, 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 just hand them out. It helps me gain a bit more visibility. It helps me get more people on the podcast and bring more content to you, more deep down personal interviews, more nerdy, nitty gritty stuff. I'm excited for my next guest. I'm excited for the next interview that I can bring you and I'm really looking forward to it and I'll see you there in the next one. Mm -hmm.